bless you this week. Say amen. We're glad to see you. Thank you for coming out on the Sunday morning. Brother Ken's going to come lead us. Everybody stand to your feet this morning as we make a joyful noise. Brother Ken, lead us this morning. Amen. In your blue songbook this morning, hymn number 29, At the Cross, we'll sing the first, second, and last verse. Page number 29 in your blue songbook. Brother JT's coming. I got several requests I want to mention to you very quickly. Pray for Sister Rebecca Craig. Uh, she's got flu and pneumonia. Pray for Rebecca, please, this morning. Sister Sarah Lawson is continuing with her chemo and uh, radiation here this morning. Bless your heart, but continue to lift up Sarah uh, this morning, if you would. Sister Debbie Craig will be going for some surgery on Friday. Pray for her. Continue to pray for uh, Preacher Jerry Whitlow uh, as he has been in and out of the hospital doing better uh, with his blood sugar issues. Uh, uh, and then uh, pray for Sister Alice Campbell. She's got a niece in the hospital. Lots of things to pray about. Uh, uh, but most of all, let's ask the Lord to be with us today. Brother, I want you to come and lead us in prayer. Love to hear Brother JT pray. So let's go to the throne room of grace together this morning. And brother, you take us there this if you would. Brother JT, pray for us. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you most of all for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and your great love for us. Father, we thank you that you commendeth your love toward us, that while we yet sinners, Christ died for us. Father, we thank you that you sent your Son into the world, not that the world would be condemned, but the world through him might be saved. Amen. And Father, we thank you that you have promised to save every person who will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as own personal Savior. We thank you, Father, that you said whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For those of us are saved, we thank you that we're no longer condemned to die and burn in hell for all eternity. We thank you that all of our sins have been washed away by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, that our names are written down in the Lamb's book of life. And, Father, we thank you for those of us saved by your marvelous grace that we don't have to worry about where we're going to spend eternity. 
We yeah. thank you for this day. We thank you for our nation, for the freedom that we still have in this nation, for the privilege to be in your house today. Father, it's truly good to be in the house of the Lord. Yes, amen. We ask your blessings upon the services today that your will would be done in each part, that each part of the service would honor our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We ask that you would lead in the song service this morning that would honor our Savior. Then, Father, for our pastors, he comes to preach the precious word of God to us. We thank the gift of your word, and we just pray that you'll open his mouth, that you'll enable him and empower him to bring the message to us that you would have him bring this morning. And, Father, we just pray that your word would go into ears and hearts. And, Father, in Jesus' name, we ask that you would seek out and save any that's lost today. It's not your will that any should perish. You have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. And, Father, only you know there may be someone here today. This may be the last chance, the last opportunity they have to be saved. For those that are saved, Father, speak to our hearts that we will grow in grace and knowledge of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, that we will be helped and be encouraged, that we'll worship you and praise you today, for you are a great God, greatly to be praised. And, Father, for each prayer request, we pray that you'll answer each one, spoken and unspoken, according to your will. And for all those names that have been called out of sick, you are a great God, and we just pray unto you, and, and just it's but a light thing for you to heal these that are sick. And so we just ask that your will be done. For those that are sick and better now, we thank you for answered prayer. Yeah. Father, again, we thank you for your great love, for your many blessings, for the privilege of prayer. And Father, again, in Jesus' name, we ask that you would seek out and save lost sinners today. Thank you for the privilege of prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, JT. You can be seated this morning. A couple of years ago, I asked Kyla Rowland, the author of this song, uh, what was the impetus behind it? As you know, our, our, the stories to her songs are often just as thrilling as the songs themselves. And she said that uh, she'd had a terrible week. She remembered it well, that there'd been spiritual battles on every hand, and she just could not seem to get around them, over them, or through them. And she said she was sitting down in her recliner, and Satan was just battling her on every side. She said she sat up and said, I have had enough. So she got up, went to the songwriting room that Bob built her, and she said, I immediately went to the throne room and told the enemy he could not go where I was heading. Having spent a little bit of time in the throne room, she realized that she could not get around the circumstances, but she could always pray through the circumstances. You listen now as Marsha the choir sings, I can still pray through. Yeah. 
prayers, the calls, the cards. That song that we just sung, I can still pray through. I promise you, that's a fact. We still serve a living, loving, prayer-answering God. And I don't have any idea why I'm standing here today with no side effects from this stroke I had. And if y'all trust the doctors, they said, I'm a young man. This should not have happened to me. And I don't know why it happened to me. I don't know how you can cough up a stroke, but I did it. And, you know, minor, mild, moderate, a stroke's a stroke. For some reason, God brought me through this with no side effects. I laid in the hospital, and I'm not going to lie to you, I was scared to death. My wife was scared to death, and that scared me even more. I promise you I'm saved. I know where I'm going when I die, but I was not ready to leave my wife and my children. I'm so thankful for what God has done for me. And maybe the only reason he brought me through this was so I could stand up here today and tell you that God loves you. God wants to save you. He does not want you to go to hell. I've been through a lot in my life, but one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life was I carried my own father to his graveside, not knowing where he was going to spend eternity. Please don't put your kids through that. Please don't put your family through that. If you're not secure in your salvation, don't leave this building today without knowing there's no promise of tomorrow. I'm a healthy man. I promise you I don't. I'm pretty healthy. And I had a stroke just like that. I went to work and had a stroke and drove myself home like a moron because I didn't know that I had a stroke. But... It can change in an instant. It doesn't take a stroke to take you out of here. It takes a car accident. It takes just some freak incident. And again, I've learned you don't ask God why things happen. You just trust him through it. And then when you come out on the other side, you praise him for it. And there's people in this church that's going through so much more than what I've been through. And you need to lift them up in prayer. Because I'm evidence that God answers your prayers. I'm standing here today only because people in this building right here stormed the throne room on my behalf. And you trusted and had faith, maybe faith the size of a mountain or the grain of a mustard seed, but you had faith in a God that loves us all. And I thank you for that. And I want to personally thank one individual whose name I won't mention in my extended family that was there for me without me even asking. And, I mean, everything I needed at my home was taken care of, and I never even had to ask. And I'm so grateful for that. But most of all, I want to thank you all for your prayers because, trust me, I don't know why, but God loves me, and God's brought me through this. And I beg you today, if you're not sure of your salvation, if you're not saved, please today come to this altar. And let somebody show you the easy path to salvation. All you have to do is believe in the Jesus that died for you on the cross. And his blood will wash your sins away. And it will be forgotten. Because I promise you there's nobody in this building that was in a darker place than I was when Jesus came to me and saved me. And when you call on Jesus, you don't have to scream. All you have to do is just believe and say, God, help me. 
and you got a direct line. It's not a party line. It's your line, and it's right to him. And I can tell you from experience, that is a fact. The instant you call on Jesus, he's there. He don't wait. Well, I'll get to you in a minute. He's there right then. So again, thank you all for all your prayers. Thank God for what he's done for me. And let's just continue to praise his name this morning.
say God's been good. Say amen this morning. We're glad you're out. Thank you for coming out on a Sunday morning. Let me give you several prayer requests or rather announcements this morning. Again, uh, I do want to give you one more prayer request. A lot of you know Brother Curtis Cahill, a real estate developer here locally. In fact, he appraised our old SA or our old AGBC building. Uh, he's had several health issues and in the middle of Sunday school uh, passed out today. They're rushing him back to the hospital. So pray for Brother Cahill if you would down here at Fort Trial Baptist Church. Wonderful, wonderful uh, Christian brother. Just pray for him, please. A uh, couple of announcements. We Most of these are uh, uh, old announcements, but I need to update you on a few of things. Uh, gentlemen, if you can help us out on our grounds this year, uh, please uh, see Brother Mike Smith or Sister Leanne Rigney. We're asking you one more time to please check your pants, your dresser, wherever the, the, the lawnmower key has vanished. Um, and if it's uh, happened to have landed on your desk, you bring it back. No harm, no foul. We don't even need to know it. Just put it back where it's supposed to be. Amen. Uh, keep that in mind if you would. Then uh, we are, as we said last uh, week, looking for one more junior church volunteer, uh, teacher age 25 or above, and or a helper age 18 or above. Have to be faithful here, of course, to our services. And as always, anyone who works with our children, we do run the criminal background check, so please keep that in mind. And then uh, those of you that are going with us this year to our teen conference in Gatlinburg, the dates are June 25th through the 29th. Brother C.T. Townsend, of course, is the facilitator of that, the Arise Teen Conference. Two of my favorite preachers in the country will be there. Brother Kenny Baldwin uh, will be preaching. He is absolutely fantastic. Uh, no greater preacher, I think, preaching to young people today than Brother Kenny Baldwin. And Brother Johnny Pope, who is my all-time favorite preacher uh, in the country, in the world, that's ever breathed a breath. Uh, I think I've told you this many times, but I like sharing this story. When we had him a few years ago, for our teen, or rather for our tent meeting, uh, he preached what I think is the greatest message that I've ever heard preached in my life, a message on the cup, uh, absolutely blew me away as I sat there listening to him, and afterwards I got home and was just laying back thinking about what I'd heard, I received a ding on my cell phone, it was my niece who um, uh, sent me a text message uh, that said, uh, Uncle Greg, I used to think you were the smartest preacher I knew, then I heard Johnny Pope, and that was... Well, amen. So anyway, uh, he's fantastic, uh, and uh, you young folks will absolutely love him. 
And then, of course, uh, on Sunday, April the 1st, Resurrection Sunday, we always do a special gift uh, for some project here. Uh, and, our, and, of course, the one that we're doing this year is for our parking lot. We have the bags out there here at the front. Uh, we ask you to think about, pray about at least 30 pieces of silver in honor of the price for which Christ was sold. But you can do a check. You can do uh, the online system, whatever you'd like to do. But anything that comes in that day for that capacity, this is over and above tithes and offerings, will go for our parking lot project. Thursday, April the 20th, we'll be having a Senior Citizens, a Senior Saints Day trip to the dinner theater up in Withful, uh, leaving the church. Never, I'm, I'm never going to say the name of that dinner theater correctly, so I just call it the dinner theater in Withful. Uh, if you can figure out how to pronounce it, you let me know, and I'll let you say it. Amen. Uh, we leave here from the church at 930. Uh, price is $45 per person. And, of course, checks get made to SAGBCC, Sister Brother Up Church, or Sister Up Church, to, for that. And sign up is here, as it always is. Then last Sunday, uh, Brother uh, Ratliff was sharing with me uh, something that uh, a young family that is under the command of one of our servicemen, Brother Wes Ratliff, uh, one of the uh, young families that's in his unit. Uh, Brother Carl was sharing with me the story, and it kind of pierced my heart just a little bit. And uh, I want you to help us out, help this family out. I realize they're down in North Carolina, but I think it would be honoring to our Lord to do this. This young lady... Uh, uh, through circumstances that we don't need to go into, was forced to take in, had to take in her niece and nephew rather unexpectedly to keep them going into the foster care system. This is a woman who uh, 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 did not have children, had not planned for children, and then in 24 hours she's got a 19-month-old and a 36-month-old, two-year-old and a three-year-old, and she took them in to prevent them from going into the foster care system. Brother Carl was sharing that with me, and I thought to myself, good golly, Miss Molly, you're never prepared for children even after you've been uh, 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 preparing for them, but to have to do it overnight. And so I want to encourage you to think about what we can do in that capacity. Some of the items that she needs, of course, are children's clothes, toys, and those things that you would imagine for a two-year-old and a three-year-old. And then, of course, household items, because now that she's got children, she's got to live off base. She had nothing. Understand she had nothing. And now she's got to move off base, had to get her own place, and so she's got to have all the household items as well, uh, things that you would expect, pots, pans, towels, washcloths, sheets, blankets. She had none of that. And so she's got to get it very quickly. So any of the things that you've got, and as we always say when we help someone out, uh, please put make sure they're in good, decent condition. Uh, we'd appreciate that. And anything that you can donate, we'll do that through Easter Sunday as well for the next three weeks. Put that in Pastor Ken's outer office, and we'll make sure that they get that uh, to help them out. And, of course, uh, anything that you give is much, much, much appreciated. We mentioned last week about the calendar change. I won't go through that again, but do note that information changing our calendar for homecoming this year. And for our ladies' jubilee, we are going to put that up against our end of summer jubilee uh, with uh, Kyler Roland and Deliverance, Brother C.T. Townsend. Please uh, mark your calendars accordingly. All right. All the children, if you're heading to Children's Church or Junior Church, this takes us up through fifth grade. You come on down this morning. If you are visiting with us, they're going to come around and collect any loose change that you may have. We call this our Penny March, and this helps support our children's ministry and our upcoming Ladies' Jubilee. So come on down, young folks. We'll do the Penny March before you head out this morning. Take off, guys.
All right, everybody, Children's Church, Junior Church, come on, make your way, young folks. Children's Church, Junior Church, come on, make your way. Them folks that are holding their hands out in the middle of the aisle, that means they got money for you. So just go ahead and put on record that, yes, I am prepared for the ribbing. I am prepared for the uh, chastisement that I will get for UVA's loss. Um, in fact, I had two teenagers waiting for me at the door this morning. Uh, and, and as I walked in, I, I, I put my arms out like this, and I said, lay it on me. And they looked at me and said, we're just beginning. Amen. <laughs> But I appreciate it. All in good fun, all in good humor. Fellas, come on, make your way down this morning. You mind the Lord with tithes and offerings. God will bless you for that, honey. You come get ready to sing today. You be obedient to him. Let's pray together. Lord, bless the offering today. Lord, we are honored to be able to give back that which, which you blessed us. Bless the singing. And Lord, most importantly, bless the preaching to come in Christ's name. Amen.
hand. Let's stand together one more time. Blue Songbook, page number 449. Dwelling in Beulah Land will do the first verse and chorus. Have us a time of fellowship, page number 449. to me. Oh. 
Thank you so much. Thank you so much, folks, as always, for your fellowship and one with another. We're always commanded to be hospitable, and boy, this is a hospitable place, and I sure do appreciate your kindness towards each other. Two places that I want you to turn in your Bibles as you're making your way to your seat. Matthew chapter 26, please. Matthew chapter 26, and then Leviticus chapter number 21. Matthew 26 and Leviticus chapter number 21. Most of the message this morning will be taken from Matthew 26. But there's one little passage that I want us to look at in Leviticus 21. One more time, Matthew 26 and Leviticus num- uh, chapter 21. Gentleman went to see a oral surgeon to ask the cost, to find out the cost of having a wisdom tooth removed. He asked uh, to have an appointment, and he sat down and went through the examination. And The doctor looked at him and said, so what can I help you with? And he said, I want to know how much it costs to have a wisdom tooth taken out. And the doctor said, well, the standard price is $400 when you factor in the anesthesiology, the work that has to be done, the nurses, it's $400. The said, wow, my goodness, that is too much. I don't have dental insurance. I can't afford that. Is there any way we can do it a bit cheaper? And so the oral surgeon said, well, um, we could cut out the, the, the full body anesthesia so that you wouldn't be asleep. We could just numb the affected area with Novocaine and and I could cut the cost in half for $200. And he looked, oh, wow, that's, that's still awfully expensive. I, I, I don't believe I could do that. Doctor looked at him and said, well, I, I could, I suppose we could get really old school here and I could just put a topical gel on it to just numb the outside a little bit and I could, as quickly as possible, get it out and the fellow said, that sounds good. How much would that cost? And the doctor said, well, I think the best I could do would be 150 bucks." And he said, oh, that's, you know, that's too expensive. I can't do that. Is there anything else you could do? Exasperatedly, the doctor said, well, I reckon I could just reach in with a pair of pliers and yank it out for 25 bucks." The fellow said, that's perfect. My wife will be here Tuesday morning at 10 a.m. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Matthew 26, verse number 57, please. Verse 57. I want to start today a series of what I think is going to be four messages that are going to be centered around what is, of course, the most important and the holiest day of the year for the child of God. As we approach for what is this year, Easter Sunday on April the 1st, we recognize that Resurrection Day the day that we commemorate the fact that Jesus is alive and well, is the supreme, the most important day of the year for us. It is the very foundation upon which our faith is built. It is the thing that commemorates the fact that Jesus is alive. In fact, it was his resurrection that changed the day of worship uh, from a Saturday Sabbath to a Sunday first day of the week. Uh, So every time you get up and you get dressed and you get your family together and you walk out the door uh, and bring yourself to a house of God on a Sunday, you are in effect saying, Jesus is alive. So these next four weeks, we'll look at four very specific things. I'm actually going to give you, Lord willing, the titles of the messages over the next four weeks. Of course, the Lord could always change your mind, but I believe this is what we're going to do. Today, we're going to talk about the condemnation of the king. We're going to talk about the trial 
that led to what we'll preach about next week, the crucifixion of the king. And that will, of course, take us to Easter Sunday morning on April 1st, where we'll talk about the conquest of the king, the day when he conquered death, hell, and the grave. And then on April the 8th, Lord willing, we will talk about the coronation of the king, the day that he ascended and sat down at the right hand of his heavenly father. Today, I want to focus our attention and our energy on the trial that is described for us here in Matthew chapter 25, but in other gospel accounts as well. We'll pull a few other verses in to weave the entire story together. It's the trial of Jesus as he was brought before what we think of as the Jewish Supreme Court, the Sanhedrin. It was this trial that would pave the way for his conviction and subsequent crucifixion. The last day that Christ lived on earth before the crucifixion was a night that was full of events. Those events begin with what we typically call the Last Supper. We understand it's the partaking of the Passover that Jesus enjoyed between himself and his disciples. After that, Jesus leaves the upper room, goes to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray for the events that are about to unfold before him and is, of course, taken and arrested there at the Garden, leading to what are the events that we're about to read about. Please understand that from the moment of the Last Supper, the breaking of the bread, and to the subsequent arrest, to the trial, uh, to the crucifixion, is all happening. In fact, the crucifixion and even his burial all happen in one 24-hour cycle. The Last Supper, the, the, the prayer in the garden, the arrest, the trial, uh, the crucifixion in the morning. He's dead by afternoon, and he's in the grave by sundown. All of that happens in one 24-hour day. And as I'm going to show you this morning, the fact that it went that rapidly, the fact that it went that quick, is actually illegal according to the law. So let's look this morning, if we can, at a message entitled, The Condemnation of the King. We'll begin in verse number 57 of chapter 26. 57 says, And they that had laid hold on Jesus led him away, to Caiaphas the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. But Peter followed him afar off unto the high priest's palace and went in and sat with the servants to see the end. Now the chief priests and the elders and all the council sought false witness against Jesus. Please underscore that if you're writing your Bibles. They sought false witness. You understand that's in direct violation of the commandment that says, Thou shalt not bear false witness. But they sought false witness against Jesus. Why? To put him to death. But found none. Yea, though many false witnesses came, yet found they none. At the last came two false witnesses, and said, this fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. And notice, please, verse 62. And the high priest rose 
and said unto him, Answerest thou nothing? What is it which these witnesses against thee? But Jesus held his peace. And the high priest answered and said unto him, I adjure thee by the living God that thou tell us whither thou be the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus saith unto him, Thou sayest, Nevertheless, I say unto you, Hereafter shall you see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. And the high priest rent his clothes, saying, He hath spoken blasphemy. What further need have we of witnesses? Behold, now ye have heard his blasphemy. What think ye? They answered and said, He is guilty of death. Then did they spit in his face and buffeted him. And others smote him with the palms of their hands, saying, Prophesy unto us, Thou Christ, who is he that smote thee? Father, as we read these words this morning, we are reminded that they are leading to the most important event in all of human history. Lord, these events, though painful for us to look at in our mind's eye, are leading to that moment in time where the very Son of God, the Lamb of God, would be crucified to an old rugged cross, bearing our sin debt and a price we could not pay, yet he willingly took it so that we might have life and have it eternally. Lord, as we race the next several weeks up to Resurrection Sunday, I pray that the messages that we deliver, that I believe you've laid upon our hearts, will allow us to pause and to contemplate and ponder the death, the burial, the resurrection of our Lord. But God, we know that it is upon that that our entire faith is constructed. Lord, if we take away the crucifixion, everything we believe in falls apart. Lord, if we take away the resurrection, then our hope is in vain. But I am so glad today, Father, that I can stand proudly and say the words of the songwriter, I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. Lord, I pray that you'd bless the preaching this morning. Lord, if there's someone here lost, may this be the hour of salvation. Lord, for those of us that are saved, strengthen us to do battle in the days ahead. We'll thank you and we'll praise you in Christ's name. Amen. I will openly confess to you that the description of the trial, the mockery, and next week the crucifixion are some of the most gruesome things that we can read about in Scripture. Please remove from your mind's eye the artist renderings that you often see of the crucifixion of Christ. Where there's a little trickle of blood here and a little trickle of blood there. In fact, uh, Isaiah 700 years uh, before Christ would be crucified was allowed to catch a glimpse of it. Uh, and he said that his visage, his face was so marred that he scarcely even looked human. To look upon Christ... The moments before and during crucifixion is to see blood. 
But I also will remind you that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sins. Ours is indeed a bloody religion. God has forever demanded blood for his righteousness or to demand righteousness. All the way back to the Garden of Eden, at the first sin that is recorded in Scripture, when you see animal skins, you have to understand that you don't get animal skins without dead animals. Even from the beginning of time, God demanded blood for man's sin. What we look at today are so important because it's the moments that would lead up to this crucifixion. It's the events that begin to unfold that march towards that hour when the very Son of God would be nailed to that old rugged cross. So with the help of the Lord this morning, I want to give you a message that I'm entitling The Condemnation of the King. We'll look at three things in Scripture this morning. Number one, note with me, he's arraigned. He's arraigned. When you begin to put the four gospel accounts together, you get a very clear indication of all of the elements. That should not surprise us. Because in any case, a writer is talking to a specific group of people, and thus he relays specific pieces of the puzzle. But when you put all four of them together, you have a clear image, a clear picture of what happened. Note with me, if you would please, the place of this arraignment. Go back to the very beginning of what we read and notice, if you would, in chapter 26, beginning in verse number 57, that Scripture says when they had laid hold on him, they led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest. After Jesus is arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, John 18 tells us that he is first taken to Annas, who is the father of the high priest. And then we put together... Uh, Subsequently, he's taken to Caiaphas, who is the high priest himself. First, the father-in-law of the high priest, Annas. And then subsequently taken to Caiaphas, who is the high priest. And Josephus, the extra-biblical, non-biblical historian, tells us that at the tabernacle, at the temple, these two individuals lived on one side of the other with a corridor that separated them. So first, uh, Jesus is taken to Annas, the father-in-law. Then he's taken to Caiaphas, who is the high priest. It's no accident that he went to either. You see, while Caiaphas may have been the high priest, Annas was the real power in Jerusalem. Though Caiaphas uh, was the one uh, who held the authority uh, of the high priest, who held the position of the high priest, who was in fact the spiritual leader, it was his father-in-law uh, who conducted the business over the temple and was the person who oversaw the tables and the money chargers, the money changers. In other words, uh, I don't need to tell you, he's the one uh, that would have been most angry when Jesus turned it all upside down. Uh, he's the one uh, that would have lost business uh, when Jesus came in uh, and kicked the tables over uh, and took the money changers out. Uh, he was the man who hated Christ perhaps the most. They arrested him, Jesus. Arraigned for the trial to be held in a private setting so that it would be concealed from the people what they were doing. We go from the place to the participants. In the next verse, or the next clause of that same verse, verse 57, it says, uh, 
led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and elders were assembled. Where the scribes and elders were assembled. The scribes and elders is language that literally refers to the Sanhedrin court. In other words, uh, this plot had already been hatched. This scheme had already been laid. Uh, the intent, as you well know, was Judas uh, would sell the Christ. He would sell Jesus uh, for 30 pieces of silver. Uh, when they landed upon him in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, he would go forward, uh, would kiss Jesus on the cheek. Jesus responds and says, betrayest thou me with a kiss? Uh, and immediately he's arrested. He's taken, first of all, to Annas, uh, the father-in-law. Uh, then he's taken to Caiaphas. Uh, and, uh, shock surprise, uh, the Sanhedrin council, all 71 members, are already assembled there at the high priest's home. What an imaginary coincidence. How unbelievable that would be. You know better. You know that this was a scheme that was hatched. You understand that this was already in place. This Sanhedrin is the equivalent of the Jewish Supreme Court. Jesus is arrested. He's immediately arraigned before the highest court in the land. You say, preacher, what's the big deal? Well, we go from the place to the participants to the problems. I want to state very plainly and unequivocally this morning. The trial of Jesus was a farce. The trial that unfolded was full of illegalities. The trial that happened, and by the way, I'll pause just a moment and say it had to be done this way. You need to understand that Jesus had just as many supporters as he had deterrents. He had people who had been touched. He had had people who had been healed. He had people who had been resurrected from the dead. And they knew that if they did not do this under the cone of silence, there would be a mob on their hands. So they set about an arrest. They set about a trial that was 100% fake. In fact, if it had been in modern day 21st century America, it would be described with the hashtag fake news. How was it fake? Let me explain to you. Several reasons, and I'll go through them quickly. The trial was conducted at night. The law specifically forbade any trials to be held at night, mandating that they were all conducted during the day. The accused was always allowed to call witnesses in his defense. Jesus was not afforded that opportunity. The Sanhedrin was to judge the case, but was not to prosecute it. In the trial of Jesus, they assumed both roles. If any witnesses were found to have given false testimony before the court, they were to be given the same punishment that was being sought for the accused. But in this case, they were looking for false testimony. If the death penalty was being sought as it was here... The Sanhedrin was required to observe a three-day waiting period of fair and fasting before a recommendation of the judgment could be rendered. But Jesus was tried, convicted, and dead within a 24-hour period. In fact, the Sanhedrin could not condemn anyone to death a unanimous, by a unanimous vote. A unanimous vote for condemnation uh, suggested that the element of mercy was uh, missing, yet Jesus was condemned by everyone present. Trials were only to be held in the temple. This one was held in the home of Caiaphas. It was illegal 
to bribe a witness for false testimony. It was against the law to force a prisoner to testify against himself. And it was against the law to use a prisoner's confession against himself. This is just the tip of the iceberg. Why does it matter? It matters greatly because these people had one thing in mind. Death, death, death. But I say to you this morning... It's difficult to turn up our noses in righteous indignation because it was that that God was using to bring his divine plan to fruition. You see, I know you know it, but I like saying it. The Son of God was born to die. This trial was but a stepping stone that would allow the very plan of God to unfold in front of the pages of humanity. This trial, illegal though it was, had to happen. So that mankind might have a redeemer. The condemnation of the king is about to begin. Not only do you see the king arraigned, but you see him accused. You see him accused. Testimony is called for. And I love the fact that scripture says that despite their best efforts, they cannot find anyone. They can't find anybody who will testify they even went so far as to try and bribe people to give false testimony. I'll say again, if you're familiar with any of the commandments, uh, you know that thou shalt not is one of those uh, regarding false testimony. Yet these upholders of the law, these spiritual giants, uh, these barometers of the law were willing to break the law so that the Son of God could be executed, seeking false testimony, tempting to bribe witnesses, they could find nobody. And finally, they found two people, two people who would testify and whose testimony would be equal, who would say the same thing. And look, if you would, in verse number 60, notice in our text this morning what Scripture says, found none, yea, though many false witnesses came, yet found they none. In other words, none who would say the same thing. At last came two false witnesses, and here's the horrible thing that they said that Jesus said. This fellow said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. They claim that he's done something terrible. He's worthy to be put to death because he dares to utter this. I'm going to destroy the temple and build it in three days. You know what he's talking about. You know that he's not referring to a man-made structure. He's referring to himself. You know that he's not talking about the temple that belongs to Herod, built for the Jews. It's not Herod's temple uh, that he's talking about destroying. It is him uh, that he's talking about destroying. And indeed, he says, I will rebuild it in three days. Under Jewish law, it was in fact blasphemy, punishable by death to desecrate or destroy the temple. And so at this moment... We know that he's not speaking against the temple in Jerusalem, but is speaking against his own body, just as he said in John chapter 2. But what a surprise. His words were taken out of context. His words were ripped out. Proper context was not given, and now it's a crime in the Jewish mind, punishable by death. And so to answer this simple question, who is he? Who is he? 
Who is he? Now the answer comes. He's a criminal. He's a criminal. He's a blasphemer. He deserves to be executed. As I read this, I can't help but ask myself, had they asked a different audience, they'd have got a different question. They'd have got a different answer. Had they asked a different audience, the answer they received would have been altogether different. What if they'd asked the blind man the, uh, 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 at, that he healed at Bethesda, who is he? Uh, he would have said he's the one that opens blinded eyes. What if they'd asked the lame man, uh, who is he? He'd have said he's the one that gives walking ability to those who cannot walk. Uh, what if he asked uh, the little family uh, that lived just a couple of miles down the road at Bethany uh, who he is? Uh, and they would have said he uh, is the one that can bring a dead man back to life. If he'd asked any of the thousands that had been fed by the five loaves of bread and the two fishes, they would have said, he is food for the hungry. If they'd have asked the woman by the well, she'd have said, he is water for the thirsty. And I stand before you this morning to say there are people in the room today that would proudly say, let me answer who he is. Let me tell you who he is in my life. He's the one that can take a drug addict and put him in the choir. He's the one that can take an alcoholic and clean him up and put him on the pews of a church. He's the one that can take anyone whose life is wrecked by sin and make them a brand new creature in Christ. That's who he is. But that question wasn't asked of those folks. They were only looking for those who would give the answer they wanted. There's the testimony of the sinners, but then there's the testimony of the Savior. I'm astounded, and I say this with complete reverence, I'm astounded by the brilliance of our Savior. His intellectual ability is something that rarely gets talked about. Yes, he was a carpenter, but he also spoke the universe into existence. He was a brilliant man. And so in verse 62, uh, the high priest uh, arises uh, and asks him literally, Who are you? What do you say to these trials? What do you say to these witnesses? What do you say to those who just said this? Are you who they say you are? But notice in verse 63, Jesus held his peace. Isaiah would say, As a lamb before slaughters is dumb, or as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so is our Lord. This, of course, rises the anger of the high priest, according to verse 63. Who adjures thee, that means I force thee, I command thee, I determine that thou must speak. Who are you? And Jesus said in verse 64, thou hast said. Imagine standing there, lifeless but boldly proclaiming himself to be the Son of God, the testimony of the Savior. But then I want you to notice not only the testimony of the sinners, the testimony of the Savior, but the tragedy that's about to happen. I will openly confess to you that I have read about this trial umpteen gazillion times. I've preached from this message, uh, uh, this passage, umpteen gazillion times. But as wonderful as our Bible always is, there are nuggets that God allows you to see every single time 
you looked at it. And as the Lord would have it, while I was preparing for this message, I came across a passage in my own personal testimony, or my own personal uh, uh, devotions, rather, that put this all in context and was one of the moments where your mind just blows from what you're about to see. You see, the high priest is about to really put on a show now. When Jesus says, thou answerest, and he goes on to give himself a proclamation, and at that moment, the high priest does something absolutely unthinkable. Notice in your text what happens. Go back and read with me verse number 65. Then the high priest rent his clothes, saying, He hath spoken blasphemy. What further need have we of witnesses? Behold, now you have heard his testimony. Please look at the first clause of verse 65. The high priest rent his clothes. If you've been in church any length of time, you know what that means. It means he ripped off his outer garment. It's a display of anger. It's a display of frustration. It is, in fact, coupled with mourning uh, and sackcloth, a display of mourning. It was absolutely unheard of for the high priest to do this. In fact, turn with me, please, to Leviticus chapter 21. Look at Leviticus, please. Put your bookmarker where you had it. Keep it there. We're going to go back to it. But look, look at Leviticus chapter 21. Leviticus is, of course, the book of the law. A clear description is given of all the thou's and the thou shalt nots from everybody from the temple priest to the high priest to those in the pews, if you will. Every single person is told the law and explained in great minute detail what has to happen in the Old Testament law to satisfy the righteous demands of God. Look at verse 10. Look at verse 10, Leviticus 21. And he that is the high priest among his brethren, upon whose head the anointing oil was poured, and that is consecrated to put on the garment, shall not uncover his head, nor rend his clothes. Nor rend his clothes. Nor rend his clothes. In fact, you go on and you continue to read and you will find that if the high priest disobeys this commandment, he is now disqualified from being the high priest. Go back to Matthew, please. Because in this moment, something incredible happens. In this moment, when Jesus answers the question, who are you? And he gives unquestionably the answer. The high priest stands and rends or rips off his outer garment, rendering him Levitically disqualified from being the high priest. The inferior, without realizing it, has just stood before the superior and disqualified himself in his presence. The very Son of God watches as this unfolds, and no doubt in the back of his mind, he knows that that man-made high priest has just now disqualified himself 
if you're a Jew in the audience, they're watching, you might think, oh no, what's going to happen? What do we do? It's the equivalent of the king abdicating the throne. It's the equivalent of the president stepping aside. It's the equivalent of whoever is in charge disqualifying himself or herself from duty. What is going to happen? We don't have a high priest now. Except for this simple reality. We have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God. We have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but who was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. I don't think for one second that, that Caiaphas understood it, but when he ripped off that coat, he literally said, the throne is yours. When he ripped off that outer garment, his actions said, I'm no longer qualified. The title belongs to you. I have to tell you, two weeks ago when I read that, and I will tell you that in my 20 years of preaching, I've never heard a commentator talk about it except for two weeks ago. And I read that and I went, good golly, Miss Molly, how did we miss that? But it stands to reason. That simple statement of rendering his garment said, I can't, but you can. I'm not able, but you're supreme. Notice what happens next. You see, in order to become the high priest that would pass into the heavens, the arraignment would go to the accusation that we've just read about. But now comes the hard part. The abuse. The abuse. These are things that are difficult to read. They're even more difficult to talk about, but they're important for us to understand. Then they spit in his face. I don't know about you, but I think that's about as nasty as it gets. That is about as nasty as it comes. During my last year as a public school teacher, I was teaching second grade. And I had a difficult class by all counts. It came at my own request, actually. And I had one young man who made it his life's duty to try my patience. It was his goal to push my buttons. Most of the time, I was able to put down the shield so he couldn't get to them buttons. But every once in a while, and don't look at me so callous. You got kids? Amen. You know they push your button every time they can. The Wednesday before Thanksgiving, this was back when we still went to school on Wednesday before Thanksgiving. It was a half day. Lunch was at 10 o'clock because everyone had to get through lunch in order to get out the door by 11.30. Uh, and folks are excited. The kids are excited. Everyone's excited. Uh, and so at 10.20, it's time for us to go back to the class for the last hour of instruction. Uh, and I look at him, and he's done nothing. He's not packed up anything. He's not done anything. Everybody's ready to go, but he's just sitting there uh, and said, I called his name. I'm not going to say it in front of you, but I called his name. And I said, come on, you got to hurry, buddy. We got to go. And so he very quickly picks up his tray and sloshes milk all the way down the table. And so I looked at him. And I said, now we're all going to have to stand here, son, because you have to clean that up. And he rears back and goes, 
right at my face. That pushed my button. That pushed my button. Luckily, at that moment, my principal walked in and said, Mr. Hodges, I've got it from here. He sent the rest of the class with me to the classroom, and bless his little heart, I didn't see that fella for 10 days. <laughs> Why am I sharing that story with you? Because I think to spit at someone is about the biggest sign of disgrace you can come up with. It's worse than hitting. It's worse than punching. But Jesus bore it all. The spit, the buffets, which are the punches, the open face slaps. Why? You understand that at any moment he could have called 10,000 angels to swoop him out of here. But he bore it all because he loved you, because he loved me. You see, at that moment, the Father's plan for salvation was beginning. Look at the next verse. We're nearly done. Notice what it says in verse 68. Saying, prophesy unto us, thou Christ. Who is he that smote thee? <laughs> in other words, these thugs as they would come from behind and bust him upside the head and run away. Hey, who hit you, buddy? As they would run up behind him and bust him upside or pop him upside the face. And Isaiah chapter 50 tells us that in addition, they would rip the hairs out of his head, pulling the hairs out of his face. But the Bible says he stood there and took it all. I don't think there's a man in this building, and probably not a woman, who if somebody hauled back and spit a loogie in your eye, you wouldn't rear back and jack slap them into another world. And don't look at me so funny. And then they hit him. And they punched him. And they slapped him. And pulled his hair out. And pulled his beard out. And we haven't even gotten to the beatings. Haven't even gotten to the crown of thorns not even gotten to the hammer and the nails. I believe by the time it was over, this high priest is standing there a bloody mess. And I'll close this morning by saying this simple statement. As he stood there, I believe he saw you and you and he saw you you and you and you and me and he took it all because that's the only way we could go where he was headed stand to your feet this morning Jesus paid it all all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Can I ask you to bow your heads this morning? These events are prophetic. 
Isaiah talked about him 700 years before Jesus would even be born. These events were also purposeful. Peter said, we're not redeemed with silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus. So if you're here this morning and you're thankful to be redeemed and you're not ashamed of it, you know that he paid the price for you. You want to give him praise, just lift your hand this morning all over the building. Thank you so much. I'm going to ask you to put him down. Now I'm going to ask you the most important question I know. If you're here today and you're not sure about your salvation, you're not sure about your eternal home or where you will end up when this world is over or should this be your last day, you say, preacher, pray for me. I'm not sure I'm saved. Anyone like that this morning? Preacher, pray for me. I'm not sure I'm saved. I'm going to ask you one more question. Is there anyone in the building that would say, Pastor, there's a special need. And I'm going through, my family's going through, and we need that great high priest to intervene. Boy, I'm seeing a lot of hands go up. A lot of hands. You can put them down. Brother Ken's going to sing us a verse this morning. We're not going to have a long invitation. But if you need to step out to this altar, I want to implore you, I want to adjure you to come right now. Right now, this moment, this second, before he sings the first word, the first note of the first song, step out right now and bring it to the high priest. He loves you. Brother Ken, sing for us. I hear the Savior say Thy strength in need is small, child of weakness, watch and pray, find in me thine all in all, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe, Sing us one more, Brother Ken. One more verse. One more verse. Sing this morning. Jesus paid it all. Lord, now in need I find. Amen. That power can change the leper's You got the mic, dismiss us in prayer. Church, be back with us tonight at 6 o'clock. Something special to share with you tonight. Can't wait for you to be here. Pray for one another.
Brother Ken, dismiss us in prayer, if you would. Heavenly Father, God, we are thankful, Lord, for your son. God, what it done for us on the cross of Calvary. God, we are thankful this morning, Lord, that Jesus paid it all. God, we can never repay you, Lord, for what you've done for us. God, we can try as hard as we wish to, Lord, but there's nothing that we could ever do, Father, to repay the debt, Lord, you paid for us on Calvary's cross. God, if there be one soul in here this morning that does not know Christ as Savior, God, I pray, Lord, you would convict their heart. Father, help them, Lord, not to be able to go to sleep tonight. God, give them that unsettled peace, Lord. God, you just work on them. Father, I pray God, that they would contact me or the pastor or another brother and sister in Christ here at the church, Lord, could show them in the Word of God how they could know Christ as Savior. Father, what a blessed assurance it is to lay your head on a pillow at night and God, to know that you're bound for heaven. God, I thank you, Lord, for that blood that was shed on Calvary's cross, Lord, poured out there, Father, every drop. God, Jesus paid it all. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your Son this morning. It's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen.